Back in the spring, I was surprised to receive a phone call <clears throat> from Pastor Johnny Stone of Hill Street Baptist Church. I had worked with Pastor Stone on an organization, I don't know, six or eight years ago, I guess now. I didn't know why he was calling, but when I called him back, he was inviting me to serve on a panel at his church. Now, Hill Street's in Gainesboro, so it's an African-American church. And um, he, he wanted me to serve on this panel on September 11th for during, um, get this, Men's Week <laughs> at their church. And the title of the discussion would be, get this, the state of the black church in the Roanoke Valley. Why were they asking a white woman to be there to discuss the state of the black church in the Roanoke Valley during Men's Week? Well, that situation came to mind as I thought about the, the story of the rich man, and La rich man and Lazarus because what we have before us in the gospel is a story of reversal. Jesus sets up the story, and to first century listeners, the first part of it is not surprising. As in a lot of countries today, there's an obvious difference between the rich and the poor. And mostly people accepted that, especially the rich. They liked it there. That was just the way things were. If you were wealthy, then life was good, and you were hoping things wouldn't change. If you were poor, of course, you were hoping things would change. It's what we call the American dream, where you could start with very little and work your way up to making more. Now, of course, if you're rich, the American dream can only mean competition for your wealth and status. So, the unnamed rich man wears imported clothes and feasts sumptuously every day, we are told. Jesus' first surprise comes up in the parable when the rich man is just known as the rich man. And then Lazarus, the poor man, the sick man, has a name. Interestingly, this was the only parable in which Jesus gives someone a name. Usually it's just descriptions. <clears throat> but the larger surprise is the reversal that takes place. The two men die, and each has an afterlife opposite from his life on earth. Now, the assumption at the time was that one's blessings in life were proportionate to God's favor. If you were wealthy, then God favored you. If you were poor, then obviously you had done something wrong. And so God was showing his displeasure by making things difficult for you. Now, this line of thinking remains for some people, that the righteous are blessed and the unrighteous are cursed. If we find ourselves thinking this way, we may need to examine our assumptions as the rich man had to suddenly do when he discovered himself in agony tormented by the flames of Hades. And then the poor man, Lazarus, was carried away by angels, we're told, to the bosom of Abraham. That was the place of such bliss 
for a Jew of this time to be received into the embrace of his greatest forefather. Well, the rich man had enjoyed really good food for years and years, but he was welcomed to Heartburn City. But it wasn't just heartburn, of course, it was mind burn and soul burn. We might wonder whether this image seated Dante's infernal image of hell in the Divine Comedy, where the message on the gateway was, anybody remember this? Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Well, who among us hasn't experienced some form of reversal? Now, some are good, while others are more challenging. Perhaps the reversal for you was the sudden rejection of a friend or sibling or parent. Maybe you were drafted into the military service and that changed your life. Maybe you didn't get the job you expected or a job that you thought was secure was taken away from you. Maybe you realized you're not who you thought you were. Or maybe you realized that the Bible is not what you thought it was, or that Jesus wasn't who you thought he was. Maybe the child you had been nurturing inside of you or outside the womb was abruptly not there. Suddenly you felt like you had passed through the gateway that Dante describes that read, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Well, this is the rich man's situation, but he hadn't lost hope yet. He tries to have Lazarus soothe his torment, but Abraham tells them that between the two of them, there is a chasm that's fixed, and neither can cross from one side to the other. Well, when that doesn't work, then the rich man thinks a little bit farther beyond himself, maybe for the first time, and still seeing Lazarus as his servant, he asks Abraham to send Lazarus back to his brothers, who are still alive, of course, and maybe, just maybe, if someone rose from the dead and returned to them, they would repent and wouldn't have to experience the same painful torment that this rich man is feeling. Abraham responds to this plea saying, they already have what they need. They already have been taught what they need to know. It's all there in Moses, the books of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible. In the prophets, everything is there to tell them how to live. Even if a rich man came back from the dead, it might not change them. Everything about justice is what he was talking about. Parts in Deuteronomy that say, Cursed be anyone who deprives the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow of justice. Even Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich, and woe to you who are full now. We've heard all these lessons. And so we imagine then the rich man saying, Oh, that's what Moses meant. Or, oh, that's what the prophets meant. 
Hmm. So now he's hopeless, without hope. The chasm is fixed. You know, we can endure something when we know it's got an end. Getting blood drawn, having our teeth cleaned, standing in line, sitting in metal folding chairs. (laughs) You know there's an end, there's progress, there's movement. But sometimes people feel like the awful stuff is never ending. They abandon hope when they really have everything they need to be fulfilled. In the mid-1800s, Russell Conwell dedicated his life to the formation of a college for poor but deserving young people. And almost single-handedly, he raised several million dollars with which he established, anybody know? I didn't know this. Temple, Temple University. In each of his more than 6,000 fundraising lectures throughout the country, he told a story that he called Acres of Diamonds. And the plot starts with an African farmer who had heard tales about making millions by those people who were discovering diamond mines. He was so so excited about the possibilities that lay ahead that he sold his farm and used the money to traipse across the African continent in search of diamonds. Well, unfortunately for him, he never found the diamonds that he was looking for, and so when he died, he was despondent and dejected. Meanwhile, the man who purchased the farm from this wealth-seeking African discovered a beautiful rock while walking by a stream on his new farm one day. Because of its curious beauty, he placed it on the mantle, and a few weeks later, someone else came and saw it and almost fainted because, as you can imagine, it wasn't just an impressive clump of crystal. It was one of the largest diamonds ever discovered. And it came from a creek full of many more large and precious stones. Dr. Conwell con- concluded his story by stating that the farm turned out to be one of the most prosperous and productive diamond mines on the African continent. But say he also said, took that story to say that we need not waste our lives looking elsewhere for better opportunities. We have all we need for salvation. We have it today. We just need to do it. And we need to help other do, others do it, each, help each other do it. And that's why we come together. That's one of the reasons we come together as church is so that we can work together to fulfill Christ's purposes. We can't do it on our own. We have to have each other. We want to, to change those curses, like those in Deuteronomy, to blessings. Blessed be anyone who offers justice to the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. Because we know we have been blessed, we open the gates together for others to receive the same blessings. Now, I don't think we're talking just about money. 
You know, that's, that's the surface issue that Jesus uses. But taking the step deeper, we have lots of things to offer other people. Lots of blessings that we have received to offer other people. One of the ways that we try to do that here are in our small groups. We've had the Transformation Journal groups, nine of those meeting all year. We've got other Bible study groups. We've got Sunday school. And when you have a small group like that, there's a, a sense of accountability with each other. That, and, and also the strength that comes from being together and sharing your, um, your vision and then going forth and doing it. Now this next series that we're going to do, Exploring the Way, is a look at different spiritual disciplines, six of them, to, um, to try out, to learn about and try out and see if that's a way that we can draw closer to God. Um, spiritual disciplines like those in the Transformation Journal from last week and those that are offered in this Bible study and others are gateways for us. They're gateways that we can pass through to move closer to God. It takes us beyond the superficiality of fine food and clothes to that deeper joy that's found in God's presence and righteousness and truth. Now, they're called spiritual disciplines for a reason. I don't think any of us like that word discipline. Do you? Any, any discipline, whether it's to exercise regularly or to eat healthily or to pray consistently, any discipline requires some change in our routine. And this parable puts us in the place, not necessarily of the rich man, not necessarily of Lazarus, because both of those have died, but we're put in the place of the rich man's brothers, the ones who are still here and who have the opportunity to repent and to change. Will we change for the sake of the gospel? Now, when I was reading about Dante's Divine Comedy, I thought this was interesting. Someone wrote that Dante called his poem a comedy and in classic terminology, a comedy is a work that begins in misery or deep confusion and ends in elation or happiness. In Shakespearean comedy, the play often begins in confusion, couples breaking up or separating, but ends with everyone finding the right partner. In other words, a comedy is not something one would laugh about, as we would say today, but an ascension from a low state of confusion to one where all people are combined for the greatest happiness. Well, that was the process of my evening with Hill Street Baptist Church. We started off as separate people, many unknown to the others. But those who planned the evening had a vision that became reality. By the end of the time together, the people in the room, 40 maybe, a few more, we were one people. 
We were listening to each other. We were trying to solve problems and find new directions to make Roanoke a place that is good for everybody, no matter the person's age, color, or gender. There was a reversal from separateness to togetherness. And when we talk and work and pray together once, we gain a little bit of courage so that step by even baby step, we begin to overcome our fears. And that was one of the things that came out of that panel discussion is that a lot of things don't happen because we're scared. But when we have each other, we gain courage to take steps forward. We work together as a congregation, and then we work with all the other churches in the Roanoke Valley, and then we work with all the other churches in the world, and together we make great things happen. And then we don't have to wait for heaven because we will have helped to create the gateway for it here on earth. Let's pray. Holy God, you have unending power, and we desire to tap into that so that we can have a touch of that power and a touch of your courage to break through our fears and to break out into the world. We pray, too, that we will have a vision for justice and will be willing to share all that you have given us so that each person has the same number of Skittles. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.